Good morning, everybody. I uh, want to welcome you back to, again, this summer cruise series of eight weeks, looking at eight different ships in the Bible, eight boats uh, of biblical proportion. And uh, look, I'm coming to you live stream, uh, the virtual teaching today. I want to talk about that in just a moment, talk about why we're doing what we're doing. But before we do that, every single week, uh, we're in a virtual teaching environment right there at Die Ball and Duncan. Lufkin location, come on, let's welcome Duncan and Dieball. So glad you guys have joined us. You are not a church project. You are our church family. We're so glad to have you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But here's what I want to start out with. I, I want to tell you, if you're, if you're a guest today or, or you've been dipping your toe in the water of, of Timber Creek Church, I, I want to say uh, that, that today is kind of a, a family talk. Now, now, I believe that God's tailored to fit there's no hand-me-downs in the kingdom of God. He's not going to give you a hand-me-down something for today. God's tailored to fit something for you specifically. I believe God wants to speak to you not only as a crowd, as a congregation, but to you personally. Um, but also, sometimes a pastor has to take a moment and, and, and talk to uh, the flock. Uh, talk like, a like, like my, my dad or mom would say to us, you know, as kids, they say, hey, come on into the living room. We need to have a family meeting. And as, as, as grown up as a pastor's kid, we were either in trouble for saying something or we were moving to another church. It was something or other, but, but when a family meeting, we, we kind of tensed up like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? You know, we, you know we, we caught you smoking in the garage, Jeremy, you know, and, and now you're grounded for seven years. That wasn't it, although that did happen. Uh, not the seven years, but the smoking in the garage. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm already crazy. I'm already going off, off, off course. What I'm saying is family meetings can sound a little intense, but today uh, the intention is not uh, for, for anything bad. It's simply to bring clarity to a few things. And so I just want to remind everybody where we are as far as this season of vision for Timber Creek Church. I want to show you a number, and the number is 56. Now, that may not mean much for you, Duncan and Dieball, uh, but for us, it's a big deal because 56 represents the days until we launch our Nacogdoches location. Is that crazy? It is, it is nuts how quickly uh, it's coming. It's been a long time. Uh, it's been about a two-year delay. We thought we were nine months pregnant. We ended up being 36 months pregnant. So we weren't birthing a human. We were birthing a, you know, an elephant here. But in 56 days, we're planning on launching our Nacogdoches location because God is, is really birthed within us a vision uh, to be one church in many locations. And Dieball and Duncan, you're part of that story. Our Spanish venue is part of that story. And what God wants to do next, the locations that he is yet to reveal to us, um, that's part of the story of being by the time we turn 100 years old as a church, we're 92, we've got about seven and a half years left, uh, we believe that we are called to create community destinations all across the timber country of East Texas where anyone can find and follow Jesus. Now, a lot of churches have a lot of dreams, but when it comes to being a multi-site church and one church in many locations, the question that some of you may still be asking is, why? Why do that? 
Well, trust me, I've been asking the same thing because it is intense. There is a lot on the line. It is harder to, to, to uh, you know, begin to think through this in a scalable way where we're doing more than just the Lufkin location. It is, it is more, it's more complicated. Trust me, it is not easier. It's more complicated. But why are we doing what we're doing? I just want to remind us as we get into the message today that here, here's why. Because number one, being one church in more than one location, why? We can reach more people faster. For all of those of you that are traveling from Nacogdoches, it may be one thing for you to have committed to be a part and go through starting point and be a part of what God's doing here, but it will be easier for your friends in your neighborhood, for, for your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, to be a part of what God is doing through you and Timber Creek Church when they have a place closer. And so we can reach more people faster by bringing the church to them, not just asking Nacogdoches to come to us. So we want to reach more people faster. We also want to mobilize more dream teamers. We have over 150 mobilized dream teamers that are going to serve. Is that crazy? 150 are already signed up to help serve in Nacogdoches, and yet we still have many more opportunities, slots to fill for dream teamers. And so if you've gone through starting point, you qualify to be able to be a part of what God is doing. But here's the challenge. Because of 140 plus, 150 dream teamers that are serving somewhere at Timber Creek now in Lufkin, we've got to be able to reproduce those spots as they leave and go to the Nacogdoches location. And so this gives us an opportunity to make sure that if you haven't gone through starting point yet, starting in August, every, every Sunday of, in August, starting point happens 930 in the morning. It's a way to get connected and feel, figure out what we're about and then find a spot for you to serve. And we would love for you to join our dream team as we need to reproduce ourselves with the teams that are going to have open opportunities once everybody goes to Nacogdoches. We're also going to multiply community impact by not just being one location in a certain zip code in a certain city. It's why we changed our name a couple of years ago from Lufkin First Assembly to Timber Creek Church. One of the key reasons is we wanted to be able to multiply our impact beyond this city limit and this city zip code. And so Lufkin First Assembly in Nacogdoches was going to kind of be a weird deal. Timber Creek Church is easier. We can go through the entire timber country of East Texas with that name. And you know, we're just following suit with what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus didn't stay in Nazareth. In fact, they didn't even accept him in Nazareth. That's so crazy. The people that had the potential to, to glean the most from the Messiah, they actually gleaned the least because they didn't have faith in who he was. And so he left there because he wasn't recognized as the Messiah in his own hometown. So he went beyond the borders of Nazareth to Capernaum. That was his headquarters for a while. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then he had to go beyond Capernaum and, and, and go to different places. And there was a crowd that was forming in Capernaum. And, and such a great crowd. People getting saved and, and people getting healed and people being delivered. It was, it was an amazing revival going on around Jesus. But Jesus couldn't stay in Capernaum. In fact, he tells the crowd in Luke chapter 4, the crowd sought him and came to him. But he said, to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And in the same way Jesus went to other cities, we feel like God has called us as a leadership team and as your pastor, that God has called us to other cities beyond Lufkin. 
So we want to reach more people faster. We want to mobilize more dream teamers. We want to multiply our community impact. And we're just believing that he's asking us to do it. We believe he's asked us to step out in this kind of faith, in this kind of season that we're in, to do this kind of ministry, one church, in many locations. And so here's the, the, the point I want to make for, that's kind of overarching point for this morning's message as we jump into the particular boat that we're going to study today. And, and here it is. When Jesus tells you to do something, just say okay and obey. Just say okay and obey. How many parents have ever said that to your kids? Just say okay and obey. Don't ask me another question. You are done with your, you're done with your question quota. No more questions on this trip. No more questions tonight. No more questions in the next week. Just say okay and obey. That's what God is, 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 is designed us to do. But it isn't always that easy. It's not just cut and dry like that where we say okay and we obey. There's a whole lot more humanity that we have to swim through in order to get to real obedience and real surrender. Story in the Bible that I believe describes the season that we're in as Timber Creek Church, um, that it was a season that Jesus was in as he was preparing his team for ministry. And you find this in the, in the uh, book of Luke. The story happens in a couple other gospels, but in particular, we're going to land in the book of Luke, the fifth chapter it's a very popular story where Jesus calls out the disciples to begin to follow him. Just a sum of the disciples in this story. And it starts like this, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, let's situate the geography here like we have with Moses and we have with Jonah. Um, the lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it would also be known as Lake Tiberias. In the Old Testament, it was the Sea of Chinnereth or the Chinnereth Sea. This is a popular body of water that's about eight miles wide and 13 miles long, about 30-some miles in circumference. So Sea of Galilee sounds a little far-fetched. Lake is a better descriptor of this, but there were different nicknames for this body of water. Scholars have nicknamed this body of water the Fifth Gospel. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Gospel just means good news. And scholars have said that the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee is like the fifth Gospel because there was so much ministry that Jesus did while he was around this body of water. 18 out of 33 miracles recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are around Lake Gennesaret. So it's a very important uh, area uh, for Jesus to minister in. And so the scripture goes on that in this important place that Jesus is going to do many, many miracles in the years to come of his ministry, um, we read on that the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I want to give you a few takeaways from this passage as we continue to read it through. We're going to take bit by bit, like my professor at, uh, for my master's program, Dr. Galden said, Jeremy, inch by inch, everything's a cinch. Inch by inch. But yard by yard, everything is hard. So we're going to take this scripture inch by inch and, and pull out some takeaways today uh, and, and, and see what God might want to speak to us as a church. The season we're in is Timber Creek. And also what God might want to say to you personally today. So here's the first point I want to draw out. Number one, people are still hungry 
for the word of the Lord. The Bible said that there was a crowd that had gathered and it wasn't because he was just giving away things. Uh, there was something about the way Jesus communicated truth. He was, he was the word. The word became flesh and lived among us. And he, he had a way of, of teaching truth to people. And people were hungry to hear what, what Jesus had to say. To say. And I want to say today, in 2019, when, when statistics might tell you that churches are in decline, and, and people might say, ah, you know, church is antiquated, or the whole Bible thing, that ought to be in a museum collecting dust. Should we really be guiding our lives with the Bible as our moral compass? The answer is yes, because people are still, whether they know it or not, people are still hungry for the word of the Lord. Now, it may be misdiagnosed and mistreated because people are hungry for fulfillment. They don't realize that the greatest fulfillment is going to come from the bread of life, the word that comes from the Lord. The greatest fulfillment in our life is from a relationship with Jesus, but people try and find that fulfillment with filling that void with relationships, filling that void with sex, filling that void with emotional satisfaction, filling that void with the pleasures of life and materialism and, and, and that relationship or the next relationship or the next, or, or, or accolades or, or the title on, in the corner office. People are hungry. They don't realize sometimes, though, that what they're really hungry for that will really satisfy them is the word of the Lord. And Jesus had a way of just speaking plainly and simply to people. Mark 12 says it like this, that uh, common people heard him gladly. I want that to be this kind of church where common people hear the message gladly. Where we're not trying to be above anybody's head. I'm not trying to impress anybody with a big old strong nomenclature and vernacular that nobody understands that you got to get the Greek, you know, the, the, the Greek dictionary out. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that, that people don't, I, I think most people don't care what the Greek word for rope is. They just need you to throw them one. And we want to be the kind of church that isn't just like studying all kinds of Greek. We want to be the kind of church that's helping people where they are. Common people heard him gladly, and I want people to come in here and, and rejoice and serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. That's why Sunday ought to be one of the best, greatest days of our life, because we gather together and we worship God together, and we're hungry for the word of the Lord. Your expectation coming into the building today ought to be something saying to God, I'm hungry for what you want to do. I'm hungry to hear from you. I'm hungry to just simply worship you, Lord, today in spirit and, and in truth. And, and common people heard him. Kids flocked to him. Crowds swarmed him because he wasn't about the, 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 the intricacies. He was about the simplicity of grace and truth. He spoke grace and truth. Do you know what Truth without grace is mean. We, that, 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 that's, just, that's just being mean. You can tell people truth and just beat them over the head with it like it's a club. Just tell them truth, tell them truth, tell them truth. Pop, 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 pop. Just uh, spank them with the King James. Truth without grace is mean. But the, uh, the opposite is also dangerous. Grace without truth is meaningless. So if we have a bunch of grace, hey, boys will be boys, or, you know, sin isn't that big of a deal, or the way you choose to live your life, what feels good to you, just you work it out between you and God. Grace without truth, that's meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. 
Grace without truth is meaningless, but grace and truth together equals transformation. And that's the kind of thing we're after. Your God-given potential is our mission. That means that what God wants to do in you has to do with grace and truth, his character, conviction, and conduct coming alive in you. And we want to be the church that's hungry for more of the word, uh, hungry for the word of the Lord. Are you with me this morning? Good. So the story continues in Luke 5. As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And here's what Jesus does. He realizes that he's running out of space there on the seashore, the lake shore. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. This, this, is, this, is, this is ingenious. This is, this is the greatness of, of, of Jesus. He's realizing, he's calculating as he's walking and the crowd is building and there's 100 more showing up and there's 50 more showing up and he's running out of space and his sandals are, are getting wet from, the, from the, the lapping water on the Lake Gennesaret shoreline. And, and so he sees the boats, he goes to the boats, he, he commandeers one of the boats and they, they push out just a little bit and all of a sudden that water becomes a natural Megaphone. If you've ever been on the lake, it's amazing what you can hear over the water. The water is a natural megaphone for a voice. And he stretches out a little bit from the dock on the boat. It's not a big ask. It's a very simple request. And he sits on the edge of the boat and he begins to teach. This brings us to our second lesson from the scripture today. Jesus leveraged the technology of the day to get the gospel to more people. If you walked in today and after worship, uh, you were surprised that the pastor is on video today, that I am in a virtual teaching right now. Last week, we did virtual teaching, and now this week, again, we're we're doing virtual teaching. Is is he just like uh, out on vacation at Lake Sam Rayburn getting a tan? No, no. There was a purpose beyond last week. Uh, There's purpose. I want to talk to you about that for a minute. But I want to talk to you for those that may be a little skeptical or or just perplexed about why we're doing virtual teaching today. Um, It's because we need to practice virtual teaching and environment. We're practicing as a media team up in the, in the booth uh, how to do this well because when we launch Nacogdoches, worship will be live. Greeters will be live. Parking lot team with golf carts will be live. We'll have kids ministry live. We'll have Pastor Dan and Laura Chanowski, our campus pastors over there, shepherding people, visiting people, building teams, uh, being the face with the place, inspiring people to action. But, but, but we're going to be using virtual teaching during the Sunday morning part of the, the message so that the pastor can teach in more than one location, just like we're doing right now in Dieball and Duncan. And so for some of you say, I don't know, I don't know if I, is that even effective? Well, I wonder if people in that day were like, Should, shouldn't Jesus be in the synagogue? Shouldn't Jesus be kind of standing there with the scroll like he's out there on a boat, isn't boats for fishing? No, he lev- 
leverage the technology of the day to reach more people. And we're just wanting to do what Jesus already did. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go to other cities also and leverage the wonderful technology that the enemy would love to use to fill people's mind with garbage. We want to use the technology of media like this to bring people the message of Christ. And I want to, I want to also reassure some of you in here that wonder if this will work. 20% of evangelicals are attending a church that is a video venue right now. It, it's an exploding, wonderful gift uh, of God for the church in this day and age. Other gifts are being used. This helps me use my gift in a different way. And I just want to remind you that if you've ever heard a song for the second or third time on radio that was recorded years ago and it still brought a tear in your eye when they started, when Billy Ray started singing, don't break my heart, my aching break. And you just like, oh, it's so good. Um, no, that's terrible. That's not a good, it's not a good. And I swear by the moon and the stars. Remember that old song? Oh my goodness, I'm really taking us back. You can hear a song on the radio and it can stir something up but it wasn't live. Uh, you can hear a message on television, a gospel message from a gospel station uh, that wasn't live, but it can still reach you right where you are. Uh, I know many of you, you have prayed. You have prayed in your living room looking at a screen of a, of a football, of a football game. Oh, God, let the Cowboys make it to the playoffs this year. You've prayed to the almighty God watching a video screen. So, so some of you might be saying, I didn't come to church to watch a, a video. I know, but a lot of people stayed home to watch a video. But I'm, what I'm saying to you is if God can use a song, if he can use uh, a message, God can use this moment. If he can use a boat on Lake Gennesaret, he can use virtual teaching environments as well. Jesus commandeers this boat of Simon's that will later be called Peter. And I want to ask you a question today. What might God want to commandeer in my life to use as a platform for the gospel? So this is something we're doing at Timber Creek Church. But what might God want to commandeer in your life? What might God want to say to you specifically? I mean, think about your job. How might God want to commandeer your job and create a platform for you to share good news to people that are walking into that same cubicle every day, frustrated, hurt, in despair, and depressed? What about, using, what about using your social media platform besides taking the picture of that cool, you know, lasagna that was yummo yesterday? What, what about leveraging social media just to remind people, man, God is so good. Don't know where I'd be without him. Your social media can become a platform for the gospel. What about your extracurricular activities, guys? Extracurricular activities, girls. You, you can use that hobby as an opportunity to surround yourself with some people that like that same hobby. And all of a sudden, God can commandeer what is a hobby and it can become a platform for you to be able to speak life and speak hope and speak help into people that desperately need it because we're living in times where people are hungry for the word of the Lord. God, show us what you might want to commandeer to be a platform for the gospel in our own personal lives, not just here at Timber Creek. So Jesus is speaking. And after he's done speaking to the crowd, he's, he's talked for a while to the hundreds that are there. He's giving them truth. He's, he's breaking it down plain and simple to them. 
And after he's, after he's done, the scripture goes on. When he had finished speaking, he says to Simon. Now I want to stop here and just remind everybody at Dieball, at Duncan, right here in the Lufkin location, I want to remind you of a very important truth that sometimes we can forget, especially when we're attending church. Number three, write it down. Jesus wants to get personal with you. I'm thankful for the crowd that shows up on a Sunday morning. I'm thankful for us responding together corporately in worship, uh, vertical to God in worship, horizontally to one another, declaring the wonders of God. But there's also, even in a crowd this size, with 867 seats in this location, the 300 guys split up there at Dieball and Duncan, Jesus wants to speak not just to a crowd. He's interested in actually speaking to a crowd of ones, okay? The one matters. You are the one. He leaves the 99, and he goes after the one. Yes, he talks to, encourages the 99, but he knows us by name. The hair on your head is numbered. You're your soul matters to God. And so in these moments of corporate teaching, I just want you to know that God wants to speak to the crowd, but he's also got your number. He's also very personal with you. And not only was he teaching to the crowd that day, but he was setting up a personal encounter for Simon and a couple other guys to experience a real personal relationship with Jesus. So, he says to Simon, hey, Simon, now that we're done speaking, thanks for letting me use the boat here. Uh, let's launch out into deep water. I got an idea. And let's let down the nets for a catch. Like, let's get out there and, and let's, just, let's go fishing. I, 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 I'd love to see it. Let, let's have fun together. Let, while we're here, we've already pulled off of the dock. And, and what do you think Simon's response is? Sure, you bet. I mean, we've been up all night. Let's go ahead. No, 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 no. Here's what Simon says. Simon answered, Master, <laughs> we've worked hard all night, all night, and haven't caught anything. Now, can you, can you uh, put yourself in Simon's shoes? Uh, can you put yourself in the shoes of Simon saying, <laughs> Master, uh, I heard you preach. Uh, you, you do the preaching, I'll do the fishing, okay? Uh, we've been out all night, and this has, been, this has been the whole method of operation. They fish at night because that's the time you fish at the Lake of Gennesaret. That's the time you fish, he says, we've already done this. We've already tried this. There's really no use in going out. Let me give you point number four. There will always be a good reason not to step out in faith. There's always a good reason for you to not step out in faith and go to starting point. Always a good reason for you to not step out in faith and leverage your finances for the kingdom of God. I, I, there's always like, like uh, you know, I worked all week and the weekend is all I have. And Sunday, Sunday's like, I mean, I, I got to mow the lawn. I got to fill up on, on my, my Netflix shows that I missed. And I just don't have time. I'm so busy. I don't have time to serve on a dream team. Well, there will always be a good reason for you not to step out in faith. 
I mean, I know God says, put me first in, my fi- in, in finances and to trust him with 10%. And I get the rest of the 90. He just says, will you give me the first 10% of your income? It's called the tithe. Will you trust me with the 90? I know that's what he says and, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I just, it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. There will always be a good reason not to step in. You can hear another blog from somebody about tithe. And you can make all the 150,000 excuses for you not to invest in the kingdom of God. Because, oh, well this or that or I'm not under the law or this is a different thing or tithe or the preacher's just all about my money just he just all about like like you can make all kinds of excuses but basically there will always be a good excuse always be a good reason not to step out in faith it's not in your notes but you may want to just want to write it down conventional wisdom actually might keep you from a miracle Peter knew they shouldn't be fishing during the day he knew what the what the process was Get up, fish at night, clean the nets, go to bed, do it again. Get up, fish at night, clean in the nets, go to bed, do it again. He understood it. He knew with his years of, of, of fishing that conventional wisdom said, here's how you fish the Sea of Galilee. And sometimes you need to step out of conventional wisdom. Look, conventional wisdom would not have us spend a couple of million of dollars of investing it into a leased space in Nacogdoches 30 some miles away. Conventional wisdom w- w- would say, let's just focus right here and let's just grow this thing and let's just, let's just focus on this. This one area, conventional wisdom would say, we're out of our minds uh, risking and stepping out in faith like that. But listen, God wants us to move beyond conventional wisdom. How many miracles never would have happened if people would have listened to conventional wisdom? Conventional wisdom says, hey, there's all these hungry people, thousands of hungry people. Conventional wisdom says, we don't got the money to feed them. Or let's go to Sam's Club and get a bunch of pizza rolls and and let's feed them. And it's going to take a couple of days. That's what conventional wisdom says. But Jesus says, no. No, 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 no. I can use a lunchable from a child's to go, you know, happy meal here, and, and I can spread it out and make it work. Conventional wisdom says, hey, um, I can do more with all of my finances instead of working with 90% of my finances. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Conventional wisdom says, if you're going to face a giant, you better get king's armor on you. You better have the latest, greatest weaponry. Get your spear ready. Make sure that you're all set ready for battle and that people have got your back. And Jesus says, actually, I'm just going to do it with a slingshot. Conventional wisdom may just have you skip out on a miracle. And I want to come back to the main, the main deal. When Jesus, when Jesus tells you to do something, just say okay and obey. And we see Peter, reluctant follower. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I don't feel like it, but I'll do it because you asked me to. You said obey. I said okay. Number five, God can bless your obedience even when you don't feel like it. God is not asking your faith to be built on your feelings. Your, your faith can't be built on your feelings because your feelings are going to lie to you. 
Your feelings are going to say run when God says stand. Your feelings are going to stay, you're going to say fight when God says let me fight for you. Uh, your, your feelings are going to lie to you. But you can even obey even when you don't feel like it. That's what Peter did. He didn't even feel like going out again because he'd been up all night. And he didn't have any fish. And he's have to go tell Mrs. Peter we didn't catch anything all night. Again, Peter. He's going to have to deal with his spouse when he gets home. But even though he didn't feel like obeying, he obeyed. And I want to say to you, some of you may not have felt like coming to church today. But God's going to bless you in obedience even when you don't feel like it. You may not feel like sticking it out with your spouse. But when you obey, it's amazing what God can do in that obedience even when you don't feel like it. You don't feel like worshiping today because of all the stuff that went on yesterday. But God says, just obey me and try it even when you don't feel like it. It's an amazing what I can provide in your life when you obey me regardless of how you feel in the moment. And the rest of the story unfolds like this. Even though he didn't feel like it, they launched out into the deep. They let down their nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Wow. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come along and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. You want to talk about an over miracle. Like this isn't just, hey, we caught some fish. We didn't catch any last night, but now we caught some. No, we're about to like drown here with so much. Like God has more than enough. God has more in supply. God stirred the fish up so great that day. My question for you though is, did, he, did they catch all the fish in the sea that day in, in a, in a in a 13-mile uh, long, 8-mile wide sea, do you think they caught all the fish? The answer is no. They caught all the fish their nets could carry. And what I want to say to you is, that's what Nacogdoches, that's what Dieball and Duncan, that's what the Lufkin location, that's what these things are. We, these are nets. These are all just nets that we're building God will stir the fish. We don't stir the fish. God will stir the fish. It's our job to cast the nets. And bless God, we are going to cast a net in Nacogdoches. And we're believing that God is going to stir the water and fill those nets. And with, with more fish, we're going to bring in more nets. Whatever it takes, as God stirs the water and provides the fish, we're going to be faithful to launch out into the deep and cast the nets. So much to the point there that they begin to sink. We're believing that we're going to have more problems with parking. We're going to have more problems with service times. We're going to have more opportunities to serve and going to get everybody, no more looky-loos sitting on the pews. I like that. It rhymes. I've never said that. No more looky-loos sitting on the pews or, or chairs or whatever you want to call them today. Like we all got to be a part. We all got to be involved. We all got to be willing to let God commandeer our time, our talent, and our treasure so that we can see more things happen that are miracles of Jesus because it ain't really about fish here. It's about people. And that's what we're learning in this story. Their boats begin to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, when he saw this unbelievable miracle, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, whoa, go, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Like, I don't have any right to even be close to you. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. They were astonished at how much had come in. They were flabbergasted. They were jaws dropped to their chest. 
And as they were so astonished and didn't even know what to say and really were just embarrassed, Peter's just embarrassed that he didn't even have faith to get out there. And, and he was saying, I, we had, we'd finished all night. He didn't even want to go out there. But Jesus said to Simon, hey, 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 Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You think this is great? You think this is cool? Guess what? I'm going to teach you how to catch people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, can I just pause and be as real as I can be today? If I owned a real estate company, and I averaged selling 30 houses a month, one a day, I don't know if that's good or not. I would probably feel pretty good about that. But let's say Jesus comes in and he says, hey, guess what? Expand your horizon and I'm going to bless it. And all of a sudden, as a realtor, Jesus' hand is on it and I'm selling 200 houses a week. You know what I'd be thinking? I'd be thinking, who do I need to hire how, what, what kind of new lease space do I need to get? How do I need to involve other people? How do I need to build my team? How do I need to bring people on in, in order to see this happen? Because God's blessing. And I just wonder, I wonder, do you see that in, in Peter here? Like they had fished all night, had caught anything. Then Jesus blesses their business and it is a mass it is a miracle of mass proportion. If they were thinking with their conventional wisdom, they may have just said, hey, whoa, this is going to help us pay for extra hands. We can get more people involved. We can get more people. Let's buy another boat. Let's pay off this boat. Let's get two more boats, Sons of Zebedee. It'll be Sons of Zebedee uh, Fishing Co. And we can get them all. We can do shrimp. and We can, but no, we can do all kinds of different fish catching here. But no. They actually, they didn't, they didn't miss the Messiah in the miracle. So many people are looking for God to do a miracle in their life because they're chasing a miracle. They're not chasing the miracle maker. I want us to be a church that is chasing the miracle maker, not just miracles. So the final point I want to offer you today is this. A great catch doesn't make this a great story. The great catch of fish doesn't make this a great story. Great surrender does. And you know, Peter could have probably lived a lot longer life had he just stuck with fishing. This could have been the story to end all stories. Being a great grandpa and bringing his, bringing his grandbabies up around him and you know, bumping one on his knee as he was on the living room, uh, you know, lazy boy. And he'd say, oh, did great, great granddad ever tell you the story about the Sea of Galilee when we caught all those fish, almost sank our boat that day. They say, yeah, grandpa, you've told it to us 147 times. Like, like he could have talked about that great day, that great catch. But frankly, Peter lived a much shorter life, but he lived a greater life. Because it wasn't about the success of the fishing. It was about the surrender of being a follower of Jesus and saying, God, whatever I have, I surrender to you. I'm going to obey even when I don't feel like it. Even when things get rough and when I've been up all night and I've been struggling with a situation, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to put everything in your hands. And if you say obey, I say okay. 
If you say do something, I say okay, and I will, I will follow you. And these men left the boats on the shore for something greater than what they could have ever caught that day. They discovered their purpose. They began to make a difference, make the difference, because they came face to face with the living God who wants to be personal in their life and in your life and in people's lives that have yet to enter a church, either for the first time or a very long time. And so Timber Creek, Duncan, Dieball, Lufkin location, let's launch out into the deep. 56 days is our next big catch. Let's be ready for what God wants to stir. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you close your eyes here, there at Duncan, there at Dieball? You watching online, would you just pray with us? Father, thank you that you make it personal. We're hungry. May people be fed by your word. May nobody leave the room today and may nobody leave Timber Creek ever on a Sunday without feeling like they've, they've heard from God and fed on the bread of life. Lord Jesus, a lot of things we could be successful at. May we be the most successful at glad surrender and trustful obedience. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it may cost us, may we surrender to you because you're a personal God that has good plans that says, you think all this is good? You just wait. Follow me. And you'll make a difference that the world will talk about thousands of years to come. God, that's what we're believing for here at Lufkin. There in Nacogdoches, there in Dieball and Duncan, 500 and plus inmates in both of those prisons. And God, we're reaching about 300 altogether. There's 70% of that prison that's yet to be caught in the net. And we're believing in Jesus' name that you're going to continue to stir the waters. And more and more of those inmates are going to come to Christ and are going to come into these nets. Lord, the empty seats that are in this, this area right here, the Lufkin location, they are a big deal because they represent people that have names and names that have souls and every soul matters to you and they have a purpose and they have a destiny just like Simon and the sons of Zebedee and God we're believing in Jesus mighty name that as we cast the nets as we do what you've called us to do you will be faithful to do what only you can do you stir the water we'll launch out into the deep and you God may you be given all the glory and it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said a good amen. Amen.